This is Behind the Mystery. Don't sit back and relax. Sit up and listen. Why? You could save a life. Let's do this. Are you enjoying this podcast and love medical stories? If you want more, be sure to watch the TV version of Behind the Mystery, only on Lifetime's hit morning talk show, The Balancing Act, hosted by Montel Williams and Olga Villaverde. A talk show that addresses issues related to everyday women with a special medical segment highlighting rare diseases. So, if you need your medical entertainment fix, be sure to tune in bright and early at 7.30am on Lifetime to catch new episodes of The Balancing Act and Behind the Mystery Stories. You can watch episodes on thebalancingact.com forward slash rare. Too often do we trust our health to be in optimal condition. We may get a few aches and pains from time to time, but for the most part, we are confident that our bodies are at their ideal state, running exactly how they should. However, the occasional experience with aches and pains may become impossible to ignore, and before long, you can find yourself making multiple visits to the emergency room, hoping that what you're going through is fixable and won't cause permanent damage. The doctors, though, seem hard-pressed to give you answers. There are contrasting opinions, as well as some who write off your symptoms as mere overreactions. Naturally, you feel a slew of intense emotions throughout this entire ordeal. There is fear and anger, but also hope for resolution. Frank Guarino of Levington, New York, went through this exact roller coaster. At 48 years old, he seemed to have it all the picture-perfect all-American life, with a beautiful wife and three sons. But then, he started experiencing aches and pains that had not been there before. And before he knew it, his world had come crashing down. A couple years ago, I started to have symptoms. A really upset stomach, little side pains, a little bit of chest pains. Went to my primary, they gave me a full physical checkout, gave me a couple of stomach meds. You know, put me on a special bland diet, stay away from the acidy foods. As months went by, I started to get worse. Went back to my primary numerous times. We decided to go to St. Francis to get some more intense tests. The staff at St. Francis Hospital in Roslyn, New York, did all that they could to explain Frank's symptoms and to give him a treatment plan. He was asked to go through several rounds of tests, including CAT scans, MRIs, and an endoscopy. These were all carried out in a bid to explain why he often felt a burning pain in his stomach, chest, and sides. Unfortunately, none of these tests yielded anything. But when Frank was subject to a HIDA scan, an imaging procedure geared toward identifying issues in the liver, gallbladder, and bile ducts, the first pieces of the puzzle started to fall into place. After I did the hydroscan, um, they found out that my uh, gallbladder was only working 3%. So they set me up for gallbladder surgery the following day. After the surgery, he was told that he would be up and running again in a matter of days. Even his loved ones did not think that his condition was that serious. After all, procedures that involved the gallbladder were almost never life-threatening. With no reason to doubt the doctors, and with his family's claims in mind, Frank wholeheartedly believed that the worst was over. But it was not. 
After a day in the hospital, I came home, I was on the couch, and I just told my wife a couple of days after surgery, I said, something's wrong. I I'm not feeling right. I still, something's not right. I just didn't feel myself. Frank was worried that his promised quick recovery was not happening. Instead of being up and about, feeling brand new, the pains and aches that he had been feeling were back. However, his primary care doctor did not share his concerns and told him to give it a little more time. Perhaps Frank was just one of those unlucky few who took longer to bounce back after a surgical procedure. Following his doctor's advice, Frank decided to spend the next few days toughing it out. But rather than recovery, his symptoms grew and unfortunately worsened. Started to get very fatigued. I started to run a little fever and I started to develop a cough. And uh, that's when I went back to my primary and, and he said that I'm going back to St. Francis once again to take some more testing. Back at the St. Francis Hospital, more testing awaited Frank. He had blood work done and went through multiple CAT scans as well as MRIs. It was after these series of tests that doctors noticed his swollen lymph nodes. However, they wrote it off as normal, telling Frank that this usually occurs after surgery. They sought to treat his symptoms instead, giving him inhalers and painkillers for his fever and cough. But Frank continued to deteriorate with his kidneys and his liver starting to decline. As kidney failure began to seem inevitable, his doctors finally grew concerned. After like the third time going back to the hospital, they, they admitted me for at least close to four weeks to do more testing and uh, infectious disease doctors came in. They uh, quarantined me in a special room because they didn't know what I had. They tested me for lupus, they tested me for cancer, that came back negative, but they were just really concerned about my lymph nodes being swollen. His case puzzled doctors all of whom were unable to explain what exactly was wrong with Frank. With all their options exhausted, a haematologist suggested that they run tests on his swollen lymph nodes. And that's when his diagnosis finally came. We, we couldn't believe that, that, that this was happening. You know, I was a healthy person, never had any issues with myself, and out of nowhere, this, this hits me. We were, we were shocked. Here is what we know so far. One, Frank started out suffering from a really upset stomach. Two, he started to feel pain to his sides and chest. Three, further tests revealed that Frank's gallbladder was only working at 3% capacity. Have you got any idea what his diagnosis could be? Let us dive back into our episode and see what other symptoms we can discover about this rare disease. Frank's condition was strange, to say the least. He was diagnosed with a disorder that is often referred to as a mix between an autoimmune disease, an infectious disease, and a cancer. His haematologist's gut feeling had been correct. Frank's illness was due to his swollen lymph nodes and its related issues. Approximately between 6,500 to 8,700 individuals are diagnosed with this untreatable disease every year. But since it is often mistaken for lymphoma or cancer of the lymph nodes, these numbers could actually be much higher. Dr. David Fagenbaum is a physician scientist from the University of Pennsylvania who is known for having dedicated his life to finding a cure for this rare disorder. Dr. Fagenbaum is the author of the best-selling memoir, 
chasing my cure. His motivation stems from his own battle against the same disease that he is working so hard to eradicate. I was a healthy third year medical student training to become an oncologist in memory of my mom when out of nowhere I became deathly ill. My organs shut down and I was so sick that I actually had my last rites read to me. Thankfully, chemotherapy saved my life, but unfortunately I would go on to have relapse after relapse after relapse and eventually decided that I would dedicate my life to trying to find a treatment and maybe even a cure for this disease. The immune system, as its name suggests, is formed by cells that work together to fight against infections, protecting our bodies from diseases and other harmful foreign bodies. It works by identifying threats to our health, which can include viruses, bacteria, and parasites. It then distinguishes these from our body's normal, healthy tissue, and once the difference has been established, removes them. It goes without saying that the critical role the immune system plays in our health cannot be overstated. But, according to Dr. Fagenbaum, the autoimmune disorder that he and Frank had been diagnosed with upended the entire immune system. Rather than fighting against potentially harmful foreign bodies, it instead attacks the body's organs, causing them to malfunction or downright fail. This is a hyperinflammatory disorder where the immune system becomes activated and then begins to attack and shut down the body's vital organs, causing dysfunction of the liver, kidneys, bone marrow, heart, and lungs. And patients become incredibly sick, potentially even being hospitalized in the intensive care unit. He further says that the disorder often caused a broad spectrum of symptoms, with some patients experiencing mild flu-like signs and fluid accumulating around their ankles or bellies, as well as a single enlarged lymph node. Others, however, exhibit more alarming symptoms, with several of their organs failing. Unfortunately, Frank had both sides of the spectrum. This portion was brought to you by the Global Genes Rare Foundation Alliance, a coalition of more than 600 rare disease organizations that believe in the power of collective impact. Foundation Alliance membership provides networking opportunities and effective strategies, tools, and resources to help build a foundation's capacity. The Foundation Alliance Leadership Council works directly with Global Genes to strategically advise on matters of the Foundation Alliance. This group of rare disease advocacy leaders has been identified as some of the community's most trusted advisors. To find out more, visit globalgenes.org. When it comes to identifying this disease, certain criteria are evaluated. These factors had been first established by Dr. Fagenbaum after it took his own doctors over 11 weeks to correctly diagnose him. With this criterion, with specific features that doctors can look for, diagnoses can be made within days instead of weeks. Our criteria requires that patients have multiple regions of enlarged lymph nodes. The diagnosis of all forms of Castleman disease should be made based on a thorough clinical history, physical examination, imaging, and the, the excisional lymph node biopsy. But even with these criteria, Diagnosing this disease often comes only after multiple trips to the hospital and a variety of inconclusive tests. Oftentimes, patients are misdiagnosed with more common illnesses. For instance, Frank was told that he had problems with his gallbladder. His case is not unique though. According to Dr. Fagenbaum, doctors often incorrectly diagnose this particular disorder 
due to its subtypes and how it mimics the symptoms of other illnesses. Patients are often misdiagnosed as having lymphoma, autoimmune diseases like lupus, infectious diseases like mononucleosis, and unfortunately, some patients are diagnosed too late on autopsy. It is clear that this disease can be fatal if the incorrect diagnosis is not immediately rectified. In fact, figures released by the American Cancer Society in 2018 state that the three-year disease-free survival rate of the disorder's most critical subtype, a form caused by the human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV, is at a meager 28%. This means that only this percentage of patients survive their diagnosis and are still alive three years later. What we looked up, there was a lifespan of the disease was five years. And then when I heard that, I just broke down. I couldn't believe that I would get something like this. And knowing I had five years to live, that was, that was really, really scary, traumatizing. Once he was correctly diagnosed though, Frank's doctors started him on an intensive treatment strategy. However, things did not go according to plan. Uh, the doctors were treating me with uh, fluids, steroids, and uh, they were giving me chemotherapy, and uh, it wasn't working. I just was getting more fatigue, felt very sick. I felt like I had flu-like symptoms, but like double the, double the flu-like symptoms. And my numbers were dropping. The kidneys were still dropping, and the liver was still dropping. Not knowing what else to do, his team of doctors reached out to Dr. Fagenborn to get his opinion. He advised them to change Frank's medication after recognizing that his condition was becoming worse by the second. There was only one problem though. St. Francis Hospital did not have access to this medication. Because of this, Frank was taken to an ICU in New York City, where finally he was able to receive Dr. Fagenbaum's recommended treatment. In 2014, the prescription medication Siltuximab, also known as Silvent, became the first and only treatment approved by the United States Food and Drug Administration for this condition. Well, my doctors were working with Dr. David Fairbaum and uh, treatment, the FDA approved treatment that he recommended for me. I got it that night when I went in the hospital and 24 hours later, I started to feel my symptoms were changing. I started to feel a lot better. Uh, 24 hours later, after my first treatment, was a real turning point for me. I woke up that morning and uh, my fever was gone and the cough, I, I, you know, I couldn't believe my cough stopped. And then uh, the team of doctors came in and they took blood for me. They came back a couple hours later and said that my kidney count started to fluctuate the right way, you know, the right numbers. I was happy tears. I was really, really excited on thinking about one treatment. What happens if I have 10 treatments? And I was so anxious to go to my next treatment. I still was fatigued. I had the, you know, the, the swelling on the legs, the feet, the hands. Still a little hard to walk around, but you know, every time the doctors came in and told me, Frank, you're doing great, you know, your numbers. It was all about the numbers. And that just put a smile on my face and my wife. We were at, at ease for now. We, we, had, we got past the storm, but now we have to see what the future was gonna be with this medicine. The treatment did wonders for Frank's condition. Before long, he had been moved out of the ICU and into a regular room, which was a huge milestone, considering the uncertainty that he had been living with for weeks. Thanks to Dr. Fagenborn, Frank Guarino finally had his correct diagnosis, subtype and all. But more importantly, he had hope and a treatment plan. It's been two years now since I've been on cetuximab. I feel great. I feel very, very mild side effects. Little fatigue after treatment lasts 
maybe like a couple hours. Maybe a little itching here and there, but I don't feel like I'm sick anymore. I'm back to the normal stuff that I used to do. I'm coaching my son's baseball. So, how close are you to a diagnosis? Here are a few more symptoms for you to consider. One, this rare disease can cause patients to feel fatigued and feverish. Two, it causes the lymph nodes to swell. And its symptoms can mimic symptoms of an autoimmune disease, infectious disease and cancer. Not an easy one to guess, huh? Let's get back to the episode and see how close you got on getting the right diagnosis. After hearing about Frank and Dr. Fagenbaum's stories, were you able to correctly diagnose the rare disorder that both of them had? If you guessed Castleman disease, then you are completely correct. First described by Dr. Benjamin Castleman in the 1950s, Castleman disease is a rare disorder that affects the lymph nodes and their related tissues. It shares several similar symptoms with lymphoma. However, this is not a form of cancer. Rather, it is a lymphoproliferative disorder, which means that there is an abnormal and excessive growth of cells in the lymph system. Castleman disease may not be cancer, but one of its subtypes is known to act very much like lymphoma. Multicentric Castleman disease, or MCD for short, affects multiple groups of lymph nodes in the body and can sometimes have an impact on organs that contain lymphoid tissue as well. This particular subtype is frequently seen in people infected with HIV and is largely considered to be the much more serious form of Castleman disease. MCD patients are the most severe cases. It's really important to classify those patients as either being caused by a virus called HHV-8 or patients that are negative for that virus, which we call HHV-8-negative or idiopathic multicentric Castleman disease. Those cases are the most difficult to treat because we know so little about what causes them. IMCD is the most severe subtype of Castleman disease. Unfortunately, a third of patients will die within five years of diagnosis and another third will die within 10 years of diagnosis based on historic data. Thanks to new advances, patients like myself and Frank will hopefully live much longer than that. On the other hand, the most common subtype of Castleman disease is called localized or unicentric. In this condition, the swollen lymph nodes are not widespread, often affecting only the chest or the abdomen. Because of this, patients may either have difficulty breathing or feel uncomfortably bloated. However, they are usually cured once the affected lymph nodes are removed through a surgical procedure. Thanks to Dr. Fagenbaum and his efforts, we have come a long way in understanding Castleman disease and how it can be treated. Unlike him, many patients no longer have to wait over 11 weeks to receive their diagnosis. Back when I was diagnosed with Castleman disease in 2010, chemotherapy was the only option for us. And a third of us died within five years of diagnosis. Another third died within 10 years of diagnosis. But thanks to the incredible progress we've made, there's a diagnostic criteria, there are evidence-based treatment guidelines, and there's an FDA-approved drug that is saving patients' lives. We also have a drug right now in clinical development, and we will not stop our work until there is a drug for every patient with Castleman disease. There is still much to do, though, given the fact that we do not know a lot of things about this disorder. 
even how it is caused remains a mystery. But for patients like Frank, the incredible developments that we have made today have been more than enough to give him another shot at life. For more information about Castleman disease, you can visit the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network at cdcn.org. Or you can also visit thebalancingact.com forward slash rare. This episode is brought to you by The Balancing Act, Lifetime's longest running morning talk show, hosted by Montel Williams and Olga Villaverde. If you love your medical stories, be sure to tune in bright and early to watch riveting topics and catch behind the mystery segments talking about rare and genetic diseases. You can also get more information and watch all the episodes on thebalancingact.com forward slash rare. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Mystery. Please visit thebalancingact.com forward slash rare to learn more about the show and listen to other episodes. This podcast was developed by Catapult Communications. Executive producer, Molly Major. Carrie Levy. Produced by G. Marcel Costa. Written by Kayla DeLeon. And narrated by Chris Harris-Beachie.